the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 162 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend with us. We're on Twitter, at JustinHughes365, that's where you can find me, at AMCQ82, and at Baseball365Pod, I, for, I didn't even say that, at AMCQ82, that's Andrew. And at Baseball365Pod is the official Twitter account for the podcast where mostly I post updates with the podcast info when it comes out. In the last episode, this is the last episode of the calendar year, and Andrew's taking the week off, and next week we're going to both be off, so this is it for us. And today we're going to discuss this same Rotomasters draft and hold draft that Chris Winder set up that we discussed last week on our two episodes. If you have not listened, go back and check those out where we talked about Andrew, mine, and Chris's drafts. But today we're going to talk to two other members of the league that drafted with us. And the first guy is a guy I've gotten to know from my Baseball 365 Daily Dynasty League the last few years. And this this last year, he also won the Rotomasters 3 Dynasty League. So it's been a good year for him. And his name is Josh Coleman. And Josh is appearing on his first podcast ever. So welcome aboard, Josh. Hey, I'm just glad I'm going before Lucas. I, I did not want to have to follow him up. I Well, let me put it this way. I actually started writing Lucas and the stuff he's done, and I was like, no, you don't do that, and then go introduce Josh afterwards. So I did that on purpose. Well, uh, much appreciated. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're you're the one debuting, and Lucas, he's he's the one who I joked. I'm like, I hope he hasn't become too big time for us. So, Josh, before we get Lucas, um, last week I asked a question. What are Christmas traditions that you have currently or you had as a child that kind of, you know, what what are the memorable ones when I asked that? And I, I thought I'd ask the same thing to you and Lucas. So what's your answer? I actually have three things. Uh, biggest thing for me is probably— You only get two. Oh, I only <laughs> get two? Okay, let me select. <laughs> I'm kidding. Let's hear them. Uh, breakfast. Uh, as a child— uh, my brother-in-law, his family actually cooked oysters for breakfast, and so wow. it was, uh, you know, a tradition to have oysters on uh, Christmas or Christmas Eve. Um, over the years, you know, family dynamics have changed or whatever, but now we go to Waffle House every Christmas breakfast. So, easily breakfast for me. Uh, and then, other than that, the day before and the day after are just complete lounge days. We do nothing. Christmas Eve, we watch Christmas movies, uh, yeah, cook a bunch of appetizers, and just uh, munch out. And then the 26th, uh, pretty much the same. We just don't watch Christmas movies, but we will play games, watch a bunch of TV, whatever, and just two awesome, relaxing days for the holidays. That all sounds amazing. I've never eaten an oyster before, so I, I'm assuming you like oysters since you eat them every Christmas. Yeah. Or ate them every Christmas. Well, yeah, and so what we have done is we have moved that tradition to my birthday, which is actually a few days after Christmas. So, yes, uh, fried oysters are absolutely wonderful. I need to try it and find out. You know, I was just telling a buddy, we drove by a Waffle House as we were traveling the other day, and I was like, I have not had a Waffle House waffle in years. It's probably close to a decade now, and I really want one. (laughs) So that sounds delicious. It's wonderful. 
All right, now the second guy who I might need to talk about for a while to talk about all his accomplishments. Um, he won Rotomasters 2 this year, but more importantly, he won the overall in the NFBC online auction. And just recently, he was announced to be joining the FTN Fantasy Baseball team, and that is Lucas Beery. First off, thank you for joining us again, Lucas. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, and um, love this league. It's you know, I play a few NFBC leagues here, and it's it's cool to be able to play in that format, but I love it whenever I can see all my league mates' picks and know kind of having a reaction to, to who they're selecting and just having a lot more camaraderie in the chat is just so much fun. I love that. It is definitely much more of a friendly game, yes. and yeah, it's great to know the, know the guys. I think that's a good way to say that. So tell me about FTN Fantasy. I know you've joined the team, but I have not talked to you and learned what you're going to be doing with them yet. Why don't you tell me and everybody else what you're going to be doing? Yeah, so my first assignment was I did a Draft Champions kind of primer strategy article. Um, So that was my first thing I did. Um, I'm also working on an off-season tracker. So any moves that happen, um, I pretty much load them into this Google Sheet that's a tracker. Uh, for example, I updated it with Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Adrian Hauser, and Tyrone Taylor, and just putting any fantasy value and uh, a few other little notes. So those are my two things right now. And then um, as the spring comes along, uh, we'll be kind of planning out what articles we'll be doing so it's not set in stone yet. Okay. Well, that all sounds amazing. And it could, like, you, you seriously deserve this. I think it's great that you're getting this opportunity because you've definitely done a lot of work over the last you know six years we were just talking about your website last time you were on here and i mean you're doing that you were doing that solely on your own are you going to be with this edition is your website i sorry i cannot remember the name of it right off are you going to continue working on that too or is that going to have to go to the back burner now um yeah the plan is to still continue on with that so yeah and what what website is that again Uh, that's dcdynasty.co yes dc dynasty there you go. Go check it out. Go check all Lucas' stuff out because he does good work and he knows his stuff. Same question for you, Lucas. Christmas traditions. What have you maybe either currently or in the past? What what sticks out to you? So two things kind of stick out to me. Uh, you only get one. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> my uh, my stepdad's uh, dad. He he's basically my grandpa. He always gets me. Um, he gets all three of us. I have two brothers. He gets us these uh, summer sausage rolls that are delicious and uh, a sleeve of crackers and some sort of a fancy cheese and uh, some sort of mustard. He always comes up with a cool one every year, gets buffalo mustard or um, he got us Jack Daniels mustard one year. So that's pretty neat. And then always just watching uh, NBA all day on Christmas Day. Been doing it ever since I was a kid. And that's my favorite part about Christmas outside of spending time with family and not having to work. Just kind of relax. That's right. You're a really big basketball guy. And the NBA definitely is, you know, they go for their big games on that holiday. Who's playing on Sunday or on Monday this year? Do you know the games already or? Yeah, the favorite game that I have is uh, Lakers and Celtics. That'll be at five Eastern. So I'll make sure I'll be uh, locked in for that one. I cannot wait. I'll have to tune in and see if Magic Johnson and Larry Bird take each other on. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> They're still playing, right? <laughs> I'm a little outdated with my NBA knowledge. If anybody didn't know, about half the people who are listening are weren't even alive at that point, probably. So, 
All right, let's move on. And before we talk about your guys' drafts, I do want to talk about this Yamamoto news and just kind of get your guys' reaction. Yamamoto signed a 12-year, $325 million deal with the Dodgers. So it's the second straight Friday. I'm sitting here recording, and the Dodgers made some major transaction or two. I mean, literally in the last 14 days, they've acquired Shohei Otani, they traded for Tyler Glass now, and now they've given Yamamoto 12 years. Uh, what are your guys' reactions to this? I mean, Josh, I'll start with you. Just, I mean, I don't care if you want to talk fantasy or baseball. Just what is your reaction to this? Bitterness and jealousy would be at the, at the top. Um, you know, the reality is we can talk about whether the deferrals and stuff are right, wrong, whatever. But, uh, you know, they're forking over $2 million for Otani this year and that allows them um you know to go out and you know sign Yamamoto for uh 12 325 wild (laughs) and yeah it's I I agree they're playing the system and it it like I they're not doing anything they can't do but it's still yeah I, I think there was a lot of that going on out there what about you Lucas um kind of indifferent to it because this is just what these super teams sometimes can do. I think it's going to work a lot better with the Dodgers since they have a conveyor belt of young talent that's going to let them keep paying high-paid players since they can get younger guys and get them situated into roles well like Bobby Miller or potentially Emmett Sheehan if he takes the reins. So they'll have those cost-controlled guys to be able to to make sure they can still have a deep lineup. But even with these big moves they've been making, it's still far from a guarantee that they'll even be in the NL, you know, CS and we'll see. Um, certainly it's nice when there's a villain, it creates more drama in the playoffs and, you know, it'll be interesting for sure. I got a real, do you guys think that I'm sorry, Josh, Go ahead, Josh. I got a quick question. Do you feel, um, the way the Dodgers are doing it compared to the way the Braves are doing it, which one do you think is, is worse? And I guess what I mean by that is the Braves are underpaying their talent, uh, as opposed to, you know, the Dodgers going out and, uh, you know, really, uh, creating the market themselves. You go first, Lucas. Um, you know, I, it's a very tricky question. Uh, so I understand why he asked it with some of the Latin American players taking the below market deals. I mean, I certainly understand um, those guys have to secure life-changing money and help their families out. So as far as the Braves kind of, I don't want to say taking advantage of that, but using that to help them get guys on below market deals. Uh, maybe I guess I would say that is, is, not as good of a feeling, but at the same time, there is risk anytime you commit to a young player. Whenever the Brewers uh, gave an extension to Jackson Churio, you saw the list of uh, minor league players that had that commitment. It was it was mostly bus, you know, Evan White, uh, John Singleton. So there is always risk when you commit to young young players. So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is with the Acuna and Albies deals. They weren't really proven yet. Like I think we all had a pretty good feeling, just like Churio right now. It's like you have a good feeling that this guy's going to be a star, but it hasn't happened yet. And 
I don't know. I just I didn't blink at those deals, even though now they obviously look insanely good. But I also don't like villainize the Dodgers for doing what they're doing. They're playing within the rules. But on the same note, I do believe that what's going on is such a. You don't want this to continue happening to where I think the rules, something needs to change there. I mean, I went on a rant today about in the baseball 365 group again about, you know, the labor negotiations two years ago and how I'm frustrated with both sides for how that happened. I guess that's last year. Well, no, two years ago. And both like the players are yelling about how this is, you know, we've got problems and they're angry at the owners not wanting to spend and all that, that, you know, the owners finally give in and put some money at the top, allowing the top teams to spend more before they hit that luxury tax. And now everybody's agreeing and happy. And I'm like, man, that's not fixing the problem with this game. Like, and I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand, but I like all the logistics and the, and the business of baseball, but the bigger the gap gets between the big and the small teams. And then also the fact that teams are now even now it's even worse to where teams are figuring out how to work the system. The nationals, the Dodgers aren't the first to do it. Nationals did the same thing with Max Scherzer four or five years ago, maybe even longer. And just I don't know. I don't I don't like what I don't like where the game's heading in terms of on the business end. It'll always be a great game, but it's it's just disheartening and I feel like something's gotta change. For me, and I'm curious what you guys think, I have more of a problem with the teams that don't do anything as far as their payroll, as far as the Orioles, Pirates rays could spend a lot more the brewers and the guardians those are the teams where they're okay with winning 83 84 85 wins getting the playoffs and hope you get lucky that irritates me more than the dodgers like justin said following all the rules and flexing their their market size and their creative you know side so i'm i'm more kind of shaking my head at the smaller teams that just aren't willing to spend anything even though they make the money yeah and and you're completely right. I used to completely villainize the high market teams, but you're completely right that these bottom teams need to come up. And when I say there needs to be change, that's what I think. Like, I think there needs to be a cap ceiling. Don't get me wrong, but I really the cap floor needs to come up significantly. And if these teams can't afford, if these owners can't afford, they got the, baseball's got to figure out a way to make it to where it can be profitable for everybody. And I don't know what that entails, but they need to figure it out and get that gap closed down because this just isn't good for the for baseball i mean i part of the reason i think the foot the nfl is so has always been so successful is i mean there there are a lot of reasons for it vegas and fantasy football and all that stuff has really helped helps make football great (laughs) but you know we pay attention to every team around the league and i think part of that is because of the way they're run everybody's kind of on even ground in terms of opportunities like there's a salary cap there's a salary floor it's not too like it's not this huge gap between them and so it seems like everybody's trying to win and i just don't feel like that's happening like best efforts are happening in this league josh i want to circle back you're the one that asked the question what what are your thoughts about that in terms of the braves and dodgers you know i actually uh, am not opposed to teams like the Dodgers spending the money. Um, so mm-hmm. I would be a thousand percent actually in favor of a salary salary floor as opposed to a salary cap. 
Uh, my issue with the Dodgers is they're not really spending that money. And, and that's where I think the problem is. Like if they want to go out and they want to have a $400 million payroll, have at it, go for it. Uh, but they don't really have a $400 million payroll. And that's the issue that I have. Yeah. The, the system's getting worked and they're, you know, 46 millions counting towards the cap. And that's how they got them. If they had offered them 46 million a year, I don't think that, I don't know if they'd have gotten them. Cause I think, I think, um, some teams would have topped that. So yeah, my, uh, my question is going to be when Otani is owed all that money and that comes to roost, then how is their behavior going to change? And mm-hmm. is the ownership even in place at that point or are they on to other endeavors? That would be my ultimate question. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. It may not be their problem at that time. Mm-hmm. Just kick that thing down the road. So circling back to Yamamoto, we really just got on a pretty good Otani tangent here. Um, with Yamamoto getting this money, what are your guys' thoughts on him in like redraft leagues this year? Like, does anything change with him going to the Dodgers for you, or is it pretty much nothing? Like, just the same way it was. Lucas, I'll start with you there. Yeah, I think that this is pretty much the best landing spot that you could imagine. So, if you were high on him. Um, you have even a better feeling to draft him as far as the team context. Um, just taking a look over at NFBC on the last few drafts, he was drafted at, um, as high as pick 46 a few times uh, in December. And as far as his men pick, uh, f- two days ago, it was at pick 32 and a pick 35 uh, yesterday. So, wow. Yeah. So he's moving up. He is moving up. Uh, potentially could even go higher than that because I think the helium is going to be sky high. So do you think you would be willing to take him in the third round if he was to actually, or do you think not really worth it? For me, a lot of these uh, Asian imports, I'm no Tim McLeod, so I don't know exactly what I'm going to get. And I highly value having a projectable player with, uh, you know, kind of know what I'm getting. So he's not really the type of guy I would go for personally, even though the upside is certainly high end SP one. What about you, Josh? Um, you know, I think currently, I don't know what uh, dates Lucas was looking at. Um, I, I think he's 21 in ADP for pitching uh, over the last, uh, I think, from the 15th. Um, I, I probably went up compared to him landing with potentially the Yankees. That being said, um, I would not take him over Snell, Valdez, even Logan Gilbert, who are currently going behind him. Mm-hmm. So I cannot see myself getting many shares of him unless he got pushed down to, you know, early 50s. You know, I'm kind of mad at myself. I really liked his his spot where he was going before he signed with the Dodgers and was wanting to get a share, and I've done two drafts, and I have not walked away with him in either one. I think I just missed out on him maybe in this league. And now, yeah, that's going to be a lot harder to get him. Because, I mean, he's just, he's going to go sooner now. That's for sure. All right, let's get into talking about this draft and hold. And my first question for you guys, I think I already know, Lucas, you had done one draft already this offseason, correct? Uh, Yeah, this was only my second draft. And okay, because you did one, didn't you do one in, in at the Arizona Fall League? Um, no, I actually took off that uh, for this year, but I did jump into a, a NFBC league as soon as I was leaving first pitch Arizona. 
Okay, so you not only wasn't not your first draft, but you were in an NFBC draft. Okay. Uh, Josh, was this your first one? No, this was my third. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, uh, there's a league called Sewer League. Uh, Matt Hammerling runs it, and uh, they start mm-hmm. in October. Uh, it's actually a pretty cool concept. They have about 30 leagues that they run, uh, different uh, various formats. And uh, anyway, I got involved with them a couple of years ago, and I did their October and November drafting holds. So you guys were ready for this. This was a completely learning experience for me whenever I did it. I don't know if you guys listened to last week's show, but I felt like I hated my draft in this t- on this draft and definitely learned a lot from it. You guys had a little bit more insight from your previous drafts. So let's talk about this. Lucas, you had the one first overall pick. You were the lucky one that drew that in KDS. And I should say you were you were com- you were co-managing this with Lou Landers, correct? Yes, correct. Yes, so I should bring that in too. So how do, like how do you guys what is what is your guys's process as you're doing this? Are you basically talking to each other and discussing every single pick before you make it? Then uh, yes, and we're also talking about it way in advance too. And it was much easier having a wheel pick where we were just hitting two picks in a row. We were kind of like you know, in the two, three turn, what are we looking at here? And then four five kind of thing. We didn't go much beyond that because there's can be sometimes a lot of variance in what players will be available, but the first five rounds definitely we talked it all out. And with one, one, that pretty much means you get Ronald Acuna because I think is if I recall it, somebody took, somebody has now taken somebody other than Acuna with a men. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez does have a men one, but that's a no-brainer. You're taking Acuna, so I don't even want to ask like how much of a how much of a decision it was or anything here. But I wanted to ask this question: with what Ronald Acuna did last year, and even what he's projected with Steamer, how much of an advantage do you think it is to have the one-one and have Acuna over the other spots in the league? I want to ask both of you this, but Lucas, ask you that first. Well, if you look at the FanGraphs auction calculator with Steamer run through it. He's over twenty dollars higher than the second highest hitter. So, Jeez. yeah, pretty pretty significant advantage. Feel that way too, Josh. Yes, yes. Hence, why he's such an easy one-one, I guess. So you got Acuna. I mean, there's not really much to say. You, I think you just said it right there. Twenty dollars more than anybody else. So, yeah. Good job, Lucas. You took the right guy. You did not screw it up. So we're just going to move over to Josh, who took Tatis. You were picking in the seven hole here. So I just to re- I'm going to I'm not going to go through all these picks, but it, since I'm going to do it for these first six, it went Acuna, Carroll, Julio Rodriguez. I took Witt, and then Mookie, and then Kyle Tucker, and then you were up there and you took Tatis. Was he the one you were hoping would get to you for starters, and was this a hard choice? Uh, not really much of a hard choice for me. I did debate Judge. Uh, I did think about Cole for just a brief minute. Uh, Tatis, to me, 25-29 home run stolen bases last year, uh, 22% K rate. I was kind of worried about that, given the rust. And um, I kind of honestly expected a dip in power, given the shoulder surgery last year. So for him to come out and hit 25 home runs while his batted ball data kind of tanked, um, I feel as though that will go up this year and, uh, again, making contact, not really showing that rust as far as not being in, you know, not having gameplay. I really could see a 
35-30 season this year, and that pushes him up um, in that 2-3 zone next year. I don't think I'd noticed till right now what a steamer projection is. It agrees with you. After going 25-29, they are projecting a 37 home run season and 27 steals, which I say that. He just stole 42 in 2021 or hit homered 20, 42 times, so it's not like he's not ever done that before, but they're definitely buying into that also in terms of getting back on the horse there. So, yeah, Tatis and Acuna there in the first round, and we'll circle... Oh, do you guys have any comments on anything in the first round, really? Or if I mean, if you don't, no worries. We'll just keep moving on. Uh, actually, I'll ask you your first pick. Wit, anyone else that you debated there? Um, no, but I like I made my cue the night before it even started. But I'll tell you now, if I was drafting again, I've talked with Andrew this week about it. Wit would not be in my top six. Like, the soonest I think I'd take Wit now is six after doing this draft. I hated like if you if you look at this draft the first seven picks I was the only one to not take an outfielder and then if you look at the next four rounds afterwards if you're looking at the board nobody one through seven took an outfielder it was wild whenever I realized this when we were recording just before we recorded last week to where I, I like it just seemed like the outfielders were going before it got back to us and then there was like a gap to where I I didn't want to take one and I just I just kept missing out on them, and I just did not like how the team build was taking Witt in the first round. Even though Witt's an awesome player, I just I wouldn't do it again. I'd pro- I'd take Mookie Betts there. I would definitely take Mookie for the multi position eligibility, and in the grand scheme of things, I think he's better than Witt in four of the five categories. And in the fifth one, he's still not a zero by any means. So yeah, I'd do different today. <clears throat> okay. So we'll move on then over to the two round two here. And um, I guess, Josh, I'll start with you since you were the first one to have, you know, pick in the second round. And you took two bats, taking Devers and Bo Bichette. Um, Do you prefer going three bats in the first three rounds? Or was this more like you didn't like the arms that were there and it's just you thought that was the best position? player to take uh, for the second round pick endeavors had it been any other bat there i would have went an arm um, it just happened to be devers uh, even going back to that round seager went two four um and maybe raleigh but robert and dela cruz i would have passed on both of those bats over an Agreed. arm uh, and went with uh, you know but devers is the reason just because it was him uh third round kind of the same with bichette you know, Bichette, I keep dreaming on the 21 season, 298, 29 homers, uh, 220 uh, runs plus RBIs and 25 stolen bases. Stolen bases probably aren't going to come back. He was 25 of 26 then, 13 of 21 uh, two years ago, and then 5 of 8 last year. Um, now, that being said, Springer had a pretty big stolen base bounce this past season. So I suppose Bo could be there, but I, even if he doesn't get to those hots, I think he's a 290 hitter, uh, 200 runs plus RBIs is totally in play and he's going to hit 25 homers. So I yeah. just really like the pick. It was going to, I was excited because it looked like it was going to be him or Gunner. Uh, Andrew took uh, Gunner right in front of me. I was completely happy with Bichette at that point. So if Gunner was there, you, you would you have taken Gunner or would you have kind of tossed on that? back and forth I probably would have went gunner just because of the additional eligibility of third base 
Yeah, that's pretty nice to have there. All right, Lucas, you at the 2-3 turn after getting Acuna, you took Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor. So you're at you also took two more bats. Is that was this your preference on how to start? Uh so Lou and I had a solid plan heading into the draft and this is definitely not what our preference was. Um we really really wanted one of Zach Wheeler or Luis Castillo with another hitter. Um and of course Castillo made it one pick before us and Paul Tam took us in the second as team 2. So um, yeah, we figured, you know, we actually did look a lot at Pablo Lopez after a huge breakout season. Um, we looked at Aaron Nola, but we just decided the two hitters was the best value, I guess, on the two, three turn. And in your defense, Nola didn't like you took Lindor, the first pick of the third round and Lindor was all the way at the 15th pick. So that one I get, and you know, you mentioned Gosman and or Wheeler and Castillo, <laughs> If I could go back, I would have taken Castillo in the second round. Yeah. But Wheeler was the one I was really hoping would get to me. It just I wanted to get a starting pitcher in that second round. And Wheeler is my third overall pitcher for my, my personal ranking. So he was the one I was wanting to get. Okay, so you buy, you guys have both now taken three bats in your first three rounds. And we're going to talk like rounds four through seven in a group here. And Lucas, we'll start with you. You guys go with four straight pitchers. You went Framber Valdez here. Then we got David Bedner or um, Joe Ryan and then Seawald. So you've gotten, you've grabbed two closers and two starting pitchers. Seems like you're making up for lost time here. With those four, how are you feeling about your staff at this point? Um, I'd grade it out at about like a B or so. It feels okay, but would have felt a heck of a lot better if we could have gotten one of our top four SPs. Um, and we were close with no cigar, but as far as Valdez and Ryan, uh, we believe both of those guys could easily potentially get 200 plus strikeouts. Um, Valdez is pretty boring, but steady, uh, going to get some wins on Houston. Um, and then as far as Ryan goes, um, definitely just a solid volume arm for the strikeouts. Um, I believe he'll be in line for a better fate for ERA and then getting two closers and draft and hold definitely took the pressure off and hopefully gives us uh, really shiny ratios in the process too. Yeah. I like Fran Valdez. I've been a fan of his for the last few years. I, I think, yeah, he's not sexy, yeah. but he's just so good at going deep into games. I'm in our, the daily dynasty league. I'm in with Josh. I there's like I would love to have that guy just because that league is a wins plus quality starts league and that just shoots his value up so high. I think he had like 26 straight quality starts last year or something like that in 2022 if I recall. Does that that sound right? Do you guys? Yeah, he that? had that streak and he he broke the streak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely crazy. So moving over to you, Josh, you went with two more bats and two arms in those rounds four through seven. You took Tyler Glass now, then Paul Goldschmidt, Dylan Cease, and Alex Bregman. So what are you, what are your thoughts on your offense and your pitching at this point? And just talk about your picks. Well, at this point, I love the offense. I feel as though with the five bats, I'm probably looking at, you know, good chance of 500 runs, 500 RBIs, uh, and plus more important, uh, probably a really, really solid average. Bregman's the only one who's shown some poor average or less than stellar average in the past. 
not a lot of speed, but I thought Goldschmidt uh, offers, you know, something at first that not many do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought him in the fifth and Bregman in the seventh were just really, really good values. Uh, the pitching side, I'd rather not talk about that, but <laughs> uh, uh, Glasnow was more just uh, trying to, or I guess, hoping foolishly that he gets to 140 innings. Uh, I think if he gets to 140 innings, it could be uh, really nice. And then Cease, the follow-up pick to that, was just kind of leaning into the Ricky Bobby first-last approach, I suppose. <laughs> I really don't know what I was doing there. Uh, if I had to do it over, I would have definitely went Gilbert or Valdez with that fourth-round pick. Okay. So, with the fourth-round pick... You know, yes. I'm a sucker for Glass now. It's hard for me to have a rational conversation about him. I've, I like, I still feel like in five years he's a guy that could easily be the top pitcher in fantasy. I just, it's hard for me to get off him. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I would not surprise me if we're looking back in five years and remember and talking about. Remember when that guy wasn't durable? Kind of like we used to say about Zach Wheeler too, who's now you know a second round pick. I, I feel that about Tyler Glass now. And maybe I'll be wrong, but I probably will be wrong, I should say, with the way history's been. But anyways, yeah, you you bring up a good point, though, about your offense. That is a lot of good batting average on that team, like in terms of projection of where you should be. It's And that was something that really bothered me about my squad. We've already talked about my team. I complained about it last week, but I wish I'd taken more hitters. And I like that just are solid that can you can count on to hit for batting average and yeah, I really like that build there with that. Okay, um, we'll move on to rounds 8 through 10 here. And Lucas, you took Ketel Marte, Max Scherzer, and Ian Happ. Obviously, the Max Scherzer pick hurts. Um, but I do want to ask it this way. Do you think you should have steered away due to some health insur- concerns he had down the stretch? Or do you just think this was a good strategy that didn't work out? Um. Funny enough, I actually took Scherzer in my uh, previous draft as well, so he was a huge target for me. Um, I just felt like he was kind of in that – he's he's arriving there later, but I felt like he was like a Kershaw type of pick where you take him around pick 120 to 150 and the skills are extremely good and you just hope for 130, 120 innings. As far as his strikeouts minus walks, he was still 21%, had a 28% K rate and a 7% walk rate still had a 1.12 whip and was just thinking that when he's healthy, he's going to be basically an ace and you can't project more than 25 starts probably with all of his issues, but thinking that backfill that with a reliever, or if we hit on a depth starter, that that's kind of a discounted ace like we've seen with Kershaw over the years. I didn't have a strong opinion about him either way. He wasn't somebody I was steering from and I, I would have ended up with shares had, you know, nothing changed yeah. this off season. So I, I'm kind of with you on that. I just, it didn't end up with a share on him. Um, anybody else you want to talk about? For, like I got uh, your other two picks here happen Marte. I mean, honestly, I, all I want to say is two good floor pat picks here. Do you have anything to add? No, that's really pretty much the whole uh, goal of the team is to have a high floor kind of boring, projectable veterans that are going to have great plate appearances, good lineup spot. Um, so nothing really to add as far as that goes, as far as Ian Happ, uh, this is where Lou and I hit a bit of a crossroads. Actually, I, I really, really wanted us to get one of those 500 plus plate appearance catchers. 
like a Wilson Contreras or a Francisco uh-huh. Alvarez. And he really, really wanted Ian Happ to get an outfield two because in these weekly formats, it's tricky to have more than one or two platoon outfield bats kind of run into some problems. And, you know, we went with Happ and uh, our catcher is pretty ugly, but, you know, it's a 15 team. It's kind of whack-a-mole. So you got to give to get, I guess. Andrew and I both went catcher, catcher there in the 10th and 11th. And that was, that was, you know, I, that is a strategy I'm in on is trying to get like possible taking bare minimum one, if not two catchers in those, in that, in that 10th, 11th round spots, just, I really like that group of catchers right there. I just think that that's the spot to get them. Yeah, yeah, we we really wish we did, but, you know, it is what it is. Well, you still ended up with a pretty good team. I don't know if you even heard us say it, but last week, Winder, Andrew, and I all talked about how we liked your squad when we finished, when we were talking about who else was there. So, Josh, we'll move on to you. You took George Springer, Albert Alzale, and Brandon Nemo. Alzale went. And then, like, I should say, you also took Clay Holmes in round 11. I'm going to go on and bring that up here to get that out of the way. So you've got Alzale and Clay Holmes. What's your confidence level in your closers? Well, I mean, I obviously know that Andrew is probably very disappointed in those uh, two picks there. Um, Here's my thought process. Hayter is really the only relief pitcher in free agency that I believe would come in and take either one of their jobs. Um, so it, there is some risk to it, mm-hmm. um, but with Alzelay, just looking at the people that were picked, you know, around him: Tanner Scott, White Langford, CES, Bieber, Walker, Estrada. Uh, to me, you know, take relief pitching out of it. This is part of the draft where I don't think anything's a lock. There's questions about, you know, all these people. So it was more or less I needed a closer. Alzale and Holmes combined for 46 saves last year. They have pretty good ratios. And as long as neither team signs Hader, I feel pretty good about them going into the season as a closer. Um, Classe, maybe in the fourth, would be one that I, if I could have to do it over again, I may do. But even a situation like, say, the fifth and sixth, not picking on John or anything, but uh, Diaz and Presley, do you feel pretty good about that as your closers? You know, Diaz had a 461 ERA in the second half last year and 17 walks to 25 strikeouts. Presley, a 519 ERA and a 453 slug. So, you know, I I believe really after you get past Classe, I think Bednar and Romano are guys I feel a little bit better about. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, you start having question marks about some of these closers even four rounds earlier. That's me. And you know Andrew's kind of talked the same. Him and I have talked about this a lot, and he believes in taking a closer in that third round, getting one of the elite guys, or he gets a little uncomfortable with the even going into that group. Because I'm more of the group of take the guys in that fourth, fifth, sixth round that gets to about the Presley and Diaz. I I, I personally would because I, I get nervous about the idea. Like I feel like if Alzale or Clay Holmes goes into season and struggles early on, they could also get leapfrogged real easy. But on that same note, I do agree with you that if it's not for Josh Hader, or Josh Hader's the only one coming in and taking the job, and if you got a much better discount on him, you were able to take more bats and arms that we did not take. So there's truth to that. Um, like Lucas, you grabbed some good floor bats here in Springer and Nemo. Any thoughts on them? Uh, no, pretty much kind of the same tune as my, you know, the first 
picks that we've already talked about. Just good floor guys, good run RBI totals. Neither is an average uh, detriment. Uh, Springer holding speed will probably be pretty important because that is what I'm definitely lacking. But uh, no, really like the picks. Love, yep. love those. Very good ones. Those are, those are awesome picks. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go on and share something Andrew and I were talking about about a week ago it might have been right before we recorded last week i'm in my next draft i'm in another draft right now and something kind of clicked with me as he and i were talking about i was talking to him about filling a position hole like i was thinking about taking a second third baseman that i thought was a value but it means i would have taken two third basemen in like the first eight rounds and andrew was like one of the things he's heard I don't remember the podcast. He'll probably listen to this and come back and quote it at some point. (laughs) But he heard um, on somebody say is that you want to leave yourself out to be able to take anything at any time, get value, get the value where it is. And it was like, it kind of hit with me in terms of if you continue like getting the value guys, like you guys did here with happen um, Marte, and then you did there, Josh, with Springer and Nemo. Those are good values for those for very good players. And if you just kind of leave yourself out and continue taking those guys, you're going to end up ahead. And I, it like it clicked with me in terms of like thinking about it like a playing poker. I know. Do either like either or both of you are you do you are you familiar? Do you play Texas Hold'em ever? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have, and I don't play it as often as I would like, but yes, I'm. You know. And Lucas, are you familiar with it? I don't. I don't remember you being much of a gambler. I'm not a poker guy, to be honest. That's okay. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, when you're playing Texas Hold'em, if you play the odds over and over again, you may not win every hand, you may not win the tournament, but you're going to have better odds at doing mm-hmm. it. And I, it kind of just clicked with me in terms of if you just keep taking the value, whenever if you keep leaving yourself open slots to get whatever value is there, it'll stick. And I think you guys both did a good job with that. And a lot of times people are guilty of going after the sexy player mm-hmm. and, you know, reaching for him and losing the value. So there's just a little side tangent that I've been like, it's like something clicked for me that I really wanted to share. So we're going to talk about rounds 12 through 23, the last of your starters, but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll do that right afterwards. We'll be right back. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of your guys' starters here, the starting rounds. And Lucas, we're going to start with you here, and I'm just going to read through all of them, and then I just want you to highlight what you want to talk about here. Well, you took Willie Adamas, then you took Yiner Diaz, Cabrian Hayes, Nate Eovaldi, Stephen Kwan, and then you took Emmett Sheehan, Taylor Ward, Heimer Candelario, Reed Detmers, Danny Jansen, Austin Hayes, and then Jamison Tyon. That was your 12 through 23 to round out your starting slots. What would you, like, when you look at the, that group, who do you want to highlight and talk about or just even a strategy? It doesn't have, you don't have to talk about a certain player here. Just what were you doing as you were going through these rounds? Uh, again, kind of going back to Cattell Marte and Ian Happ, um, just looking for high-volume players, top of the lineup. Um, a guy like Stephen Kwan, he soured a lot of people, but he was top 10 in plate appearances for outfielders. So 
uh, he could potentially volume his way to better success. So that was really the whole the whole you know strategy across the board with Adamas, Yandy Diaz, Quan Taylor. Yeah, Wood. I said the wrong one. I just wanted <laughs> to quickly say I said Yiner Diaz. That was in my notes, and I just looked. I was looking at the draft board. I'm like, no, that's Tampa Bay Rays. That's Yandy Diaz. My bad. <laughs> yeah. So so really, just kind of just trying to just attack the volume was the biggest key. As I saw Yandy, I was or Yiner, I was or the Y Diaz. I was like, "Huh, what are your thoughts on Yiner Diaz?" And then I was like, "Oh, that's the wrong one." So we don't have to talk about that. But yeah, a lot of value, a lot of good players there. Doesn't seem like there's any real big reaches out of it. And you know, when you're starting off with that offense that you have, you really just don't want to like you're you're already at an advantage with that. To where it does feel like with that offense, you just don't want to mess it up here. Yeah, just pretty much going safe across the board. And Josh, we'll talk about yours then. You got Clay Holmes, Christian Javier, Eloy Jimenez, Carlos Correa, Tristan McKenzie, Brandon Lau, Alejandro Kirk, Tyler O'Neill, Jeff McNeil, Henry Davis. Then you took in, in like Indy Rodriguez, Robert Robert Stevenson, and Trevor Rogers. And with the theme I see as I look at that, and I just read this off is. You bought low on you bought on a lot of guys that were coming off of down seasons either through due to injury or struggles there. Was did did you notice the trend as you were doing the draft or uh I'm I'm pretty habitual with that. If you just took ADP from the previous year, um I pretty much follow that as my draft plan. <laughs> I don't know why I'm like that, but it is definitely <laughs> at times a fault uh to me. Uh I wanted to get Javier to kind of go with the fancy looking car i don't know how functional it is but uh <laughs> i wanted really wanted to pair him with the uh, glass now and uh, uh cease and honestly after that i really was in, uh, intending to focus on steady starting pitcher all uh, options evaldi uh just savali you know players like that and just I don't know why I didn't follow that, you know, McKenzie question mark, Trevor Rogers. He hasn't pitched in, you know, seemingly a year and a half Montas, um, you know, so I did a very poor job of execution on that. I will probably draft Tyler O'Neill for the next 10 years. Uh, <laughs> I've always been a sucker for him. Uh, McNeil low, uh, second base has been my one position that's really stood out to me this draft season of just have not been able to get guys that I really desire there. So that was just kind of a second base pairing, hoping that between the two, I can get up, uh, you know, some pretty decent numbers. Stevenson was a potential save dart, probably took him a couple rounds early, but I really like his skill set. Hopefully I do too. Hopefully he lands in a place where, uh, uh, actually kind of thought that maybe a team like Chicago, so he could potentially be Owsley insurance or maybe even the Yankees and be Holmes insurance. Um, and, yeah, but then, you know, catcher, I need to try to target that. Uh, Kirk, I actually feel pretty good about that minus the playing time. And then I actually really liked Indy Rodriguez. Obviously things have changed since then, but will be interesting to see uh, how serious they are about Davis behind the plate. If they're serious about it, uh, it's, you know, I still probably have my second catcher. If not, catcher is going to be a uh, potential sore spot with this squad. I think you're going to be fine. I honestly think Davis is going to get it. He's going to get it early. I don't know if he's going to play catcher all year, but 
I do think that he'll start the season with that spot. I actually, in my next draft I did that I'm in currently, I took Henry Davis in like the 15th, 16th round, something like that. And I kept like, I was itching to take him because I'm just believing that he's going to be the catcher. And I feel like if he gets catcher eligibility, he's in that 10 to 12 rate, like 10th, 11th round range on catchers. Like, I look at him and I look at Gabriel Moreno. I don't know where he went in this draft, and I'm like, who would I rather have between the two if they're both catcher eligible? And I think it's I think I'd rather have it Henry Davis. Do you guys agree with that or do you disagree? I'm probably high on Moreno. I really like him. I think he's got a pretty good average floor. Uh, I think Davis will be actually kind of similar to Cal Riley, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. Good power, average risk. So in comparison to well, that, good speed. He's got the speed. Uh, you know, so you took Raleigh in the 10th round, not saying it's a bad pick by any means, but I can see Davis potentially being pretty similar to that. Yeah, completely agree. I think, and actually better because he will chip in, he will probably get 10 to 12 steals. And I don't think Cal Raleigh's doing that. So, yeah, I like that one. And obviously the Andy Rodriguez part makes that hurt. So anyways, so at this point, you guys are done with your starting rounds. Um, how are you guys feeling about your teams at this point going into the reserve rounds? Lucas, how about you start? I felt a lot better until I got the Max Scherzer news. No, but uh, pretty good. feel like everything's well covered. Anytime you can start off with two closers, that feels that feels good. I felt Seawald uh, in the seventh round was, was a reasonable value, so it's not like we had to stretch too far. Um, and then just, like I said, just beating a dead horse, have good playing time. We feel like, and even though we waited, uh, slightly on the pitching, we attacked it in bulk in the middle round. So felt pretty decent heading into the reserves. And like, so you feel pretty strong all the way across the board. That was going to be my next question. You, you, is there anything you actually feel like is a weak spot as you're going through this or the, what, what do you think is the biggest question mark on this team? Is it pitching since Max is out now? Um, I think so. I think we have a lot of usable pitchers, but I think we lack that um, number one starter since a Framber Valdez is going to deliver higher ratios than, than most SP ones. So um, I would say we lack that, you know, ace starter. That's the number one. Yeah. But you also have grabbed a bunch of them, so, uh, like a bunch of arms early that third through se- or f- yeah, fourth through seventh round. Did help catch you up a lot there. Mm-hmm. Josh, what about you? What, how are you feeling about your team at this point going in? And where do you feel like you're weak and strong? I mean, obviously, pitching has dumpster fire potential. Um, that being <laughs> said, I feel actually pretty good that K's are going to be pretty favorable for me. Yeah, uh, I can agree with that. Uh, you know, And I'm pretty confident in the offense. Uh, aside from stolen bases, if this is an overall component, I'm probably not feeling that great, but since it's a standalone league, you know, I feel if you could be really good in six categories, if just, and especially with drafting holds, you know, teams fall out of it, don't pay as much attention, injuries take effect, that the chances, it's pretty good likelihood that even if you're not good at something, instead of uh, finishing, you know, second to last or third to last you're more in the seven eight range and that's just going to help uh, help your total points overall andrew's talked about that a lot if it's an overall you can't ignore like you can get away with not maybe not completely ignoring but not putting a strong effort into st- 
saves and steals like he would as an overall. So that's that's a good point there. Do you guys have any specific strategy as you're going into these reserve rounds that might be different? Or do you, is it pretty much just take, like, Lucas, do you, what, what is your, like, reserve round strategy typically? Reserve round strategy, um, typically rounds 23 through 35. Um, that's where most of the full-time playing time is going to be. As far as after that, it's going to be sketchy. So I'm really looking to just pound as much full-time hitting as I can. Maybe if there's a good value on an SP, go for it. But really pound the full-time hitters from rounds 24 through 35, then spend rounds through 40 through 50 to look for your dart throw starters just because that's not where the full-time hitters are going to be is kind of my approach. And looking at your squad, Josh, I would think you probably feel kind of similar with that. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? Those rounds? Uh, yeah, I mean, pr- pretty much similar. I do like to take some some upside potential uh, with some picks, and then I will usually try to see about what what my weakness is at that point, and really kind of target it. Stolen bases in this case, and pitching with pitching, I was trying to target innings uh, and guys that I feel. Uh, would be safe. Now the execution of that was, was not the best, but that was my idea at that point. So Lucas, you know, looking at your 23 through 30 or 24 through 30 here, like, do you, do you want to highlight any of your guys you took in this stretch up? I mean, I, there's a couple of my, like I was talking with Andrew. I think I took a role this Chapman right about the exact same spot in my second draft. And he's not as in love with the, like, he's not saying that he's out on Chapman or anything. It's like, it's fine where you took him, but he doesn't seem like he's in on it there. I kind of like the pick because I just feel like he's going to go somewhere and probably be a closer. Yeah, I think I think there's a reasonable chance he can be a closer somewhere. And even if he doesn't, you know, over 100 strikeouts last year, that's that has useful mm-hmm. standalone. Um, the other guy that that uh, we were pretty happy to get uh, a boring pitcher, but Dean Kramer just has such a nice setup in Baltimore excellent bullpen mm-hmm. to protect his leads and a great offense to get him out ahead and a right-handed pitcher in that ballpark that felt like a decent kind of boring guy but usable in some weeks yep i agree i agree you know how are you guys doing at this point or lucas you specifically this is a question i'm just now thinking about in terms of do you have many multi-position eligibility guys on this squad or did you go more just best player which usually means you might miss out on some of these multi-position guys it doesn't seem like you have many as i'm scrolling up and down i think i see candelario and rosario is that about right yeah i think there was a little bit more focus on other teams in this league to go for the multi-eligibility so i think that those players got pushed up um and it seems like there's not as many multi-eligibility guys as there was in prior years yeah okay josh what about you 24 through 30 anything you want to highlight from your picks um, I was really a big fan of the Luis May toast, uh, Jake McCarthy, 26, 27th rounds back to back. Uh, unfortunately since then, uh, you know, McCarthy is probably strictly a fourth outfielder now with, uh, Gary L and it really looks like the giants are going well. They already addressed with, uh, uh who was it? Lee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, he could be in triple a, so that's, you know, lost a little bit of its luster. I really like Charlie Blackman, 32nd round. Um, I still think he's got some tread left. Good ballpark. Uh, really nice 
uh, statistical base with average run production, RBIs, that type of stuff. Uh, and then I'm a big fan of DeSclafani uh, and Brady Singer, 34, 35. Mm-hmm. Uh, Singer probably doesn't have much upside, but I actually do kind of envision him potentially being a guy who could go out with a low four ZRA and pitch 180 innings. And I could see that Royals team maybe surprising a little, a few people this year. And DeSclafani, good ballpark. The Giants seem to know what they're doing with pitching. Uh, I just kind of like that pick. Yeah, I do too. I like that little run there. Singer in the 34th round. I think there's some I mean, there's some upside there. He pitched pretty well 2 years ago and Lucas and I were talking about him a lot last summer <laughs> as they were trying to trade him and I really was not interested in going after him, but in the 34th round of a draft and hold, yeah. I I think there there's something there with that. Perfect DC pick. Yep. Yep. So Lucas, your 30s. Let's talk about your 30s here. Anything you want to talk about from your picks from 31 through 30 or 31, yeah, 31 through 39. Um a couple of Oakland guys I think are are interesting. Um Ryan Noda for corner infield power uh and Seth Brown. You'll have to be careful if you take those guys since they're going to more than likely sit against lefties, but as far as late power, I think you're getting a nice discount since they're playing on a really gross offense, but late, late playing time with some power. I kind of like that. Yeah. And you just, I mean, you said it best there. They are on the, on a platoon, but if you're on, if you're on the right side of the platoon, you can get quite a few at bats out of that. And honestly, you're hoping not to have to play them. Right. On the same note, if you end up having a bunch of injuries, which does happen in these leagues, Mm -hmm. You're trying to get anything, and getting a Seth Brown's a lot better than getting maybe a prospect like who may or may not even be up. You feel a lot more confident those guys will at least be playing and getting you at bats. Uh, Lucas, so uh, Peraza, what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, so it's funny. Lou and I, we've had Peraza for many, many years in uh, Rotomasters too, um, and his his prospect status has kind of gone up and down in a wave, and um. Yeah, just this was one of our upside shots where we thought if he was to finally get playing time, he could contribute a little bit in all five categories if he were to hit the ground running. So we were just looking at what could go right, and he has the third base eligibility. Maybe he picks up another eligibility or two if he were to be traded in a mega deal. So just kind of looking at upside a little bit. Yeah. Um, any comment with that or what? What what are your thoughts on Peraza, or are you just real curious? Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. So it's a guy I've always liked as well. I didn't know if uh, Lucas had a certain take on him or, uh, yeah, a guy that uh, I've always liked uh, too. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll move on. Just talk about these last 10 rounds. Um, Josh, I'll start with you here. Um, you know, run down your last 10 picks. Like, don't tell me every single one of these picks, but – what were you trying to do? Do you feel like you got a couple of guys there that you like as you're scrolling through that squad? Yeah, you're just trying to, uh, you know, uh, get some pitching depth at that point. Kind of fill out your roster. You're getting your third or fourth first baseman. You know, different positions. I try to have four at each position if possible. Usually works out that way. Um, nobody honestly really stands out. I think Max Stassi, 44th round, is a four catcher. I kind of like that. I could see him mm-hmm. getting a starting getting a starting gig in Chicago. Madrigal, I actually think he's a guy, if he actually would get 600 plate appearances in a season, you know, obviously no no power, 
minimal speed, but he's a guy who could chip in a really good average and, you know, get some possibly runs depending on spot in the batting order. Uh, Votto, the players changed a little bit, but uh, I think he's a guy that I could see him, you know, team like the Blue Jays or something sticks out. And if he gets a full run at DH roll, he could hit 25 homers. And, you know, the, I don't know if the average will be there like it has been in the past, but still a 25 homer bat uh, it, this late in the in the draft, it's, it's pretty nice. I wish I had gotten Votto. I screwed up with my first baseman. I talked about it last week. I took Joey Manises in the res- beginning of the reserve round, and he doesn't have first base eligibility yet, and I do think he'll get it. But after taking him, I didn't take another first baseman again until the 44th round with Dom Smith. I didn't realize it till the late 30s. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a second first baseman right now, in the thir- and we're in the 38th round. So I should have jumped on one quicker, and I should have, like, you got Votto right before I was, I think, no, I was actually right after I took him. I, I played chicken and waited too long. I should have taken him. And I ended up taking Dominic Smith, and, yeah, I'd much rather have Votto. All right, Lucas, what about you and your last 10 picks here? Anything you want to talk about? You got, I see you've got a couple actual, like, chased a lotter. There's a prospect in there. Uh, and who who do you want to talk about? Yeah, um, we unfortunately missed out on catcher, and that, that was very painful for us. So um, we had to take just boring playing time veterans with Higashioka and Caratini. So nothing interesting there, but just a little playing time. And then as far as most of our picks in the 40s, outside of those two catchers, it was it was almost all pitchers, guys that show at least one skill that you think are interesting or maybe an injury return guy and Luis Garcia or David Peterson or just flat out a couple of good relievers that we think we can use over a bad starter like Josh Spores or Mark Leiter Jr. So I think one thing that people don't don't like to do but might consider is just using a setup man because sometimes the lack of lack of damage is a lot better even if you're only getting three or four strikeouts. Completely agree. So I'm looking right now trying to see exactly how many pitchers and hitters and what the ratio was. It looks like, Lucas, you ended up with 22 pitchers. So that would put – or no, Josh, that would be 22 pitchers and 28 hitters. Um, Lucas, let's see if I can pull that up real quick. Where the heck are you guys on this team list? Where's Lucas? I guess that would be – why am I not – oh, the steady eddies. That's why I couldn't find you guys. So you guys had – 13, 20, you both had 22 and 28. Did, were you paying attention to that at the end in terms of the ratio, or was that just the way it, it fell? Lucas? Um, kind of like Josh said, I'd like to get four players available at each infield position. Um, and I usually go with three catchers just to get an extra arm, but since we waited so long, we, we took four shots there, so that gave us one more bat, unfortunately. But, yeah, usually my uh, range is 22, 23, or 24 typically was my split last year. We weren't even paying attention. I think all of us were 27 and 23 that we, when we were recording last week. So, Josh, you were 28, 22 also. Were you paying attention to that? Yeah, I do. I, I'm Like Lucas said, I'm usually you know, 28, 27, 26, something like that in that ballpark. I like to have, you know, used to I would do 30, 20, and just over the years uh, – there's too often that uh, you do you have an empty pitching spot, so mm-hmm. I I push that up to, you know, somewhere in the 22 range. 
yeah, you. I can't even imagine going out of a draft with 20 pitchers anymore, <laughs> just because. It, I mean, we've all been there where you're just start. You're you're starting basically nobody at that if you're, you know, at some points. We've all been there in these drafts and holds, and it stinks. So can't have enough of it. So, anyways, you guys are finishing up your draft here, and you're looking back. What are your th- What are your thoughts on your team as a whole, Lucas? Like, what? How do you feel about it? What needs to go right for you to compete with it? You think? Um, as far as the offense goes, um, I think it's it's pretty solid. Um, if there can be a breakout or two coming off the bench, um, that certainly would help. But as far as pitching, that's going to be where we're going to have to manage it. We have a lot of uh, options as far as bench pitchers that we took early on. Um, so I think playing the matchups right is important because if you make a few wrong decisions, it can kind of add up quickly. But yeah, just hopefully trying to play some matchups and, and kind of volume the offense is the strategy. What would you do different going forward after this draft and after doing three? Like, is there anything you're like, okay, this is something I need to be more focused on? Did you have any lessons learned from this one? Uh, I kind of mentioned the uh, catcher decision in the 10th round uh, with Ian Happ yeah. and the catcher. Um, you know, it's tricky. Do you want to do you want to take an outfielder that is going to potentially be 20 plus home runs, you know, 10 to 12 plus steals with everyday playing time hitting in the three or four hole for the Cubs or you want one of those catchers. So it's tricky. But for me, I, I want to build with those catchers. But, you know, like we said earlier, you can't get everything. It isn't. You gotta let something go yes. in these leagues. Yes. And me personally, before this year, I've always been a weight on catcher. Mm-hmm. This is the first year I've felt like, okay, I want to get at least one in that tenth, eleventh round. I haven't felt that way since I started doing draft and hold, so it's different for me. Because that's usually the position. I've had good luck waiting on them over the years. I've fallen into guys. Last year I got Jonah Heim and uh Logan O'Hoppy, who was also off to a great start before he had that injury. And Oh, I've always liked waiting, but this year I feel a little different. But you're, like you said, you got to wait on something. Same questions for you, Josh. How do, what do you feel about your team, and is there are there any lessons you came out from this with? Uh, team wise, I feel pretty good. I think if my pitching can finish in around the top six in the league, I think I'll do really well. Uh, that's a big if. Uh, obviously, if I'm nine, ten, eleven, it could be a long season. Uh, positionally, second base to me is. Uh, I have just the way the draft uh, plays out. I have just not in any of the three drafts been able to get a second baseman that I'm happy with. Uh, in in all, I love the outfield. I think outfield is really deep post uh, round 30. I think you can get some really nice players. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really easy to go into a draft and end up with four outfielders by like round 12. And if you're doing that, I think you are really uh, limiting your opportunities at other positions. Um, and just touching back with the multi-position eligibility, I just cannot recall a season where there has been fewer of them than this year. Uh, just just so few guys uh, did it last year. Kind of crazy. Funny, and I ended up with like three really big multi-position eligibility guys on my team in this year. I took, I mean, two of them were reserve run with Chris Taylor and Zach McKinstry. And then I also took, um, oh shoot, Haseon Kim. Kim. So I guess I was the one sucking them all up in this draft. So, yeah, I mean, I think that closes this out then. Any, you know, I guess any, fun, like, 
what are you, what's next for you guys? I mean, John, I, I guess you're both in my auction league, so you're both going to be drafting with me here in the auction draft and hold here in a couple weeks. Do you guys have any other drafts coming up? I'm finishing up the rookie uh, e draft with you, uh, and then yep. I will probably uh, do a NFBC uh, DC with the co-manager. Uh, and really, yeah. you're going to do a draft champions this off season. Yeah. I, I typically do two. I usually do a solo and then I usually will do a, uh, a co with, uh, an, actually the Nate guy who, uh, helped me in the Ricky Yee draft. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know you persist participated in those. That's pretty cool. Yep. And Lucas, we know you obviously you're the winner of the auction. You you said you're doing the auction again this next year, right? Oh yeah, yeah. In draft champions, I'll, I'll definitely be in the auction, and I've been in a few DCs as well. So, um, yeah, just uh, a bunch of leagues, and uh, really excited for it. It's, it'll hopefully be here before we know it. So yeah. Well, I appreciate you both coming on and joining me. It's I I do enjoy I really enjoy getting fresh like voices in here because Andrew and I, you know, we talk, well, a lot of times we'll get an agreement on a lot of stuff and I just like getting different perspectives in here. And I'm really glad you guys took time, especially right before Christmas. This is a freaking holiday weekend and you're spending your Friday night sitting here talking to me about baseball. So <laughs> I appreciate you both. And you guys will be the final pieces, well, not final voices for the 2023 year, because this is it for us. And we're going to get back like there will be no podcast next week. And then I think the week after, I think Andrew and I are ready to get started on position rankings. So, yeah, it's about time to start getting into the nitty gritty of it. So it's exciting. Baseball is right around the corner. I think I, I think somebody I read like 100 days till opening day. Is that did somebody is that true? Did you guys see that this week? Yes, I think it's 98 today or 97, something like that. But, yeah, it was pretty close. But who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, again, thank you guys for getting on here, and thank you all for listening. I hope each and every one of you, if you're listening to this before Christmas, has a happy Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever it is you want to call it, happy New Year coming up. And we will see you guys in 2024. Until then, take care, everybody. Happy holidays. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us baseball365pod at gmail.com and if you like the show, take a moment rate us on iTunes and once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook that's where baseball lives 365 days a year 